for the benefit of those with flash photography. guys welcome to dreamwork i am colin delaney momentarily you will hear the voice of cheech that's my tag team partner we are to infinity and beyond and every week here on dreamwork we are a tag team talking about tag teams um and in addition to talking about tag teams lately me and cheech have gotten to do a little tag team wrestling ourselves uh a busy week this week we were off to an undisclosed location for beyond wrestling on sunday uh good time wrestling rex lawless and mike verna you can catch that you can catch the replay on iwtv and uh yeah weekend off then back on the road heading out to crown point indiana for black label pro where we will be taking on the besties in the world Davey Vega and Matt Fitchett, a team we've wanted to wrestle for a very long time. Uh, Epic tag team encounter. So yeah, uh, not just talking about tag teams, but actually getting to do some tag team wrestling is very exciting. This week here on the podcast, we, uh, so we got ourselves on a little bit of a theme by accident. We, uh, we did an episode about the Young Bucks, and that got us thinking. Uh, what's what's the what would be the predecessor to the Young Bucks? That would be the Hardys, and and the predecessor to them would be the Rockers, and the predecessor to them would be the Rock and Roll Express. So we're kind of going backwards through them, uh, seeing uh, where everything kind of came from, uh, getting a uh, getting our eyes on the one team, and then checking out the team that kind of inspired them and made them who they are. So we're doing the rockers right now and that would imply that next week is the rock and roll express which i am very very excited for i am a huge ricky and robert fan love the rock and roll express so it'll be fun to dive in and check out some of their best matches and um, find out what made them great but we cannot get there without starting here and that's why this week we are talking about Shawn michaels and marty Jannetty, the rockers Hey, Cheech. Hey, Colin. How's it going? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? <sighs> Not bad, man. I uh, So I, I don't want to say I procrastinated watching Rockers matches. Uh, we had all week to do it. I did watch some last week, but uh, I do like to do the brunt of my watching in the, in the immediate times right before we podcast. It makes it makes it fresher on my mind you know i agree i understand i do a little bit of the same myself but man i was having trouble today because all i wanted to do was watch the legion of doom i know i know it did weigh a little on the heavy side enjoying good tag wrestling when yes we lost the other member of the famed road warriors or legion of doom as you may know them Big R.I.P. to Animal on this unfortunate day. Yeah, uh, arguably the 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 greatest tag team of all time. 
I know that's the one good thing I like. I like seeing all the headlines, uh, you know, putting over, you know, giving them their due, even though like we, you know, modern day, we talk about people giving their flowers. Trust me, Animal definitely enjoyed his. He knew how well the wrestling business loved him. He got around. He was a hell of an ambassador. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But yeah, so we're, we're watching Rockers. Rockers and Legion of Doom, by the way, could not be too farther on the opposite ends of the scale tag teams. But still, both all-time greats and remembered almost in the same same era, but not quite. Like they didn't really cross paths all that much, unfortunately. I know. I was looking it up. I was like, "Ooh, I wonder if they intersect." And they they do, but they don't. They they never intersect in a way they where they potentially would have. Re- exactly. Nothing. Yeah, I know. I also took a look and was like, "No, no dice." Wah wah. But all right, that's right. The Rockers are the team this week. Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty. Uh, preliminary thoughts, Cheech? I was just excited because uh, on one of the teams we covered previously, I had seen a Rockers match and was and was just so. Uh, what's the word? I was just. It was so refreshing when I had seen it uh, either a couple weeks ago or whatever. So I, I was excited for it. Um, there was, I did have a little bit of a worry that it may not hold up or maybe I was building it up more than it was. Those were my preliminary thoughts. Yeah, so I, I, I would have to assume that when you saw Rockers, it was probably our Heart Foundation episode. I believe so, yes. Yeah, because I almost clicked on that, but I was like, man, I really think I watched it for the Heart Foundation episode, so I'm not going to give it another watch. But yeah, I, I think... I think I mine were very similar. Uh, like I had mentioned on the tail end of last week's podcast, uh, I don't. Uh, I think they're going to be missing or lacking a little bit in the uh, the lineage that we have them in. But on the other hand, uh, it's Shawn Michaels who is, you know, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time and uh, one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time. I know it was it was very refreshing. I enjoyed it, and yeah, I believe it was the Heart Foundation one. So yeah, I was, which unfortunately maybe sets a little high bar a little bit, which is tough <laughs> when we're covering these great tag teams. You're like, oh yeah, they're a great tag team. So there's always that slight worry of like, oh, did I remember it as well as it was? Yeah. So I I think I uh, I I was a little disappointed in watching it that goes a little deeper than my preliminary thoughts but i think my concerns were became a bit valid as i as i continued to watch hmm i mine i was not disappointed a a bit i'm not saying that i was like but uh i think i think maybe i had i'd hyped it up in my head a a bit a bit much i i i was a huge rockers fan growing up I mean, who wasn't, especially right. for our age when they hit on the scene. You know what I mean? Like what was more colorful than, you know, 1990 uh, WWE? You know what I mean? Whew, those outfits. Whew. I say they'd still they'd still work today. The outfits? Yeah, I all, all of it. But I mean, I definitely think like the outfits for some reason, like I was watching some of the outfits and I go, oh, that's kind of like. Okay, it was crazy because it was it was crazy for like wrestling gear. It was so cool, but now I was like, oh, those are almost like the pants you would buy at like a Rue Twenty One or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean you're not totally wrong. 
Uh, all right, all right. Let's before we continue to talk about their gear, I could talk about their gear all day. Let's get into their <laughs> let's get into their accomplishments. Bring it uh, on. Okay, so they are two-time AWA tag team champs. Okay, yep, yep. They definitely had a couple runs there. They are two-time AWA Southern tag team champs, which I didn't know existed. Me either. Wow, that's kind of cool. But once again, they they did have they did they did put in time there. I think yeah, I think it was technically like a continental thing. That was like the continental tag belts. Uh, they are the 1989 Wrestling Observer Tag Team of the Year. They okay. Were n- they were never the PWI Tag Team of the Year. Well, they they were in a very crowded era. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, on the PWI Top Tag Team list, they are number 33 out of 100, and they are number 25 on the Sports Illustrated list out of 50. Um, all of that and the, uh, the WWF tag team title reign that is redacted off of the, uh, record books. Exactly. I was going to say, we can't not address the big elephant in the room. How did a team so great never actually hold those WWF tag team titles? And because here's what happened. I... Was it Saturday Night's Main Event? I believe it was, but I'm not sure. They were wrestling Hard Foundation for the belts. The top rope broke, and they were supposed to win. They won, but the match was so buggered up by the top rope uh, going to hell. I think it was, like, in the second fall or first fall of, like, a two out of three falls. So, like, I'm sure as teams they made their way through it. But ultimately, WWE decided to indeed, like Colin said, redact it. Yeah, they even defended him too. Like they won him, and like they defended him against Power and Glory, and I think they defended him one other time. And then WWE decided, well, we'll we'll put him back on the Heart Foundation, presumably to put them back on the Rockers eventually. You know, since that was the plan, but it just never, never came to be. Yeah, that's just one of those fun little footnotes in wrestling. Of like, oh no, no, they definitely held the belts for. I think it was like a week. Or something, and then they were just like, "Yeah, it didn't look good on TV. Well, let's pretend it didn't happen." I was like, "That's crazy." You know what I mean? Like, and I don't think that was something that us as like young viewers would have known. Like, this was still in the times where you could be like, "Oh no, no, we just won't show it. No one will know." And unless you know, you're reading probably like a a, a, a smarter magazine. Like, I don't think that I don't think that was something they necessarily covered in PWI. Maybe they did, but I don't know. As a young viewer, I definitely had no idea. Well, yeah, no, I mean, we would have had no idea, but people probably a bit older than us who yeah, read the newsletters, like physically got the newsletters in the mail newsletters, those type of people probably knew and whoever was in that arena that night. But even the people in the arena, they probably they never saw they saw them win them, never really saw them lose them, but just probably guessed that they did. Yeah, it's just one of those things where, you know, that was that was rest. That was pre-internet, everybody. Yeah, I thought so. uh I was like 98% sure that was a fact, but it was one of those things where I was like, am I remembering that right? And I looked it up. I was like, oh yeah, I am remembering that right. Okay, cool. Yeah, I know, man. That was, well, that's the thing. That was in the time of, you know, things weren't always a hundred percent, you know, known to casual fans. Now they are. And, you know, I'm sure it's been talked about. Oh no, it's definitely been talked about on like the DVDs on the network and yada, yada, yada. But still at the time, as a little kid, you were still thinking like, man, I can't believe they never won the tag belts. Yeah, I think uh, I had read that the match with the Hart Foundation is on 
one of the Shawn Michaels DVDs, like the the one where they win them. That makes sense. Either that, or I know like uh, Bret Hart's got like a hidden matches DVD out there too, and stuff that WWE's done. So it's it's definitely they, well, obviously they have the footage. <laughs> right. Right. Interesting though. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Interesting wrestling footnote that uh, will probably at some point in time just be a lost uh, whatever. Oh man. It's crazy though that they don't uh, that you know with Shawn Michaels being becoming as big as he he got they wouldn't just like sneak it back into the record books you know what I'm saying yeah but I feel like he's won enough belts probably in other random pairings but it's weird that you know like what you initially knew him for never had a belt that's crazy yeah I I, I was gonna go deeper into it. the only other accolades that I was going to put on the list was the fact that they were both the Intercontinental Champion just because it was like relevant to their times of being a team but outside of that i, I was not about to go into sean michael's full uh uh title history and i mean well that's the thing there is very much a storied post rockers uh you know what i mean like for example you know, the barbershop window incident you know what i mean that's a huge thing in itself technically post rockers you know what i mean so i think that's another thing that's it's just a fun snapshot of oh okay here's what they were doing and here's all the i guess the uh the aftershocks of of what the rockers were yeah so i was reading on there before we get into the what matches we watched i was reading on the wikipedia and i guess they like kind of broke up as a team in real life due to disputes before they broke them up on tv yep now, I don't know. Maybe this is me just being maybe too nerdy. Part of me feels like that's just Marty seeing the writing on the wall. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like he's like, 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 I feel like he's like the side chick and is like, oh, no, no, I know you're going to break up with me and go with Vince or whatever. And he just saw like the writing on the wall. I, that's the way I, I don't know. In my head, I always thought of it like as a couple where it was like, oh, Marty knew what was going on. Sean was going to be the big star. So they, they started not getting along all of a sudden. You know what I mean? Yeah, as as the story was written, uh, Marty Jannetty called Vince and uh, and requested both of their releases, both him and Sean. Yes, I heard this story because apparently he had talked to someone in WCW, but he didn't really. And then Sean was pissed afterwards. Is that do I have it right? Yeah, yeah. He told Sean that they had like this crazy amount of guaranteed money on the table over at WCW, and told Vince they wanted their releases. But then it came out that the story that Marty was telling was a bit exaggerated and they didn't really have all this guaranteed money coming. And Sean was like, Oh, listen, I'm not going nowhere. And then they both stayed. And then, but by that point that was already like severed. So they still teamed together for another, you know, decent amount of time. They broke up as, as people in like 90 late 91 and still wrestled together into 92. Yeah. I would have to assume Sean also saw the writing on the wall and was like, Oh, I'm not going anywhere. This looks like this is going to be good for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. All right. Rockers matches. What did you watch, Cheech? Oh, I got into all sorts of goodness. I got some Rougeau Brothers from on primetime. I got Brain Busters on primetime. I got Nasty Boys from MSG. I got Powers of Pain from Super Tape Volume 2. I was so happy when all the matches were like, I'd like to put like, you know, like the date and the show it's on. It's like, oh, no, this is a Coliseum Home video release uh, for Super Tape Volume 2. Uh, I got 
Rockers versus Conquistadors from an L.A. sports arena show. Uh, I got them versus Orient Express from Hottest Matches, another Coliseum home video. Um, Demolition at MSG. Uh, a Heart Foundation on the Saturday Night's Main Event. A Brain Busters, two out of three falls Saturday Night's Main Event. Uh, Haku and Barbarian at uh, Mania number seven. Uh, Power and Glory at WrestleFest 91, another policy of home video. Uh, them versus the Twin Towers at WrestleMania 5. Another Brain Busters on Saturday Night's Main Event. An Orient Express at WrestleMania 6. A Rougeau's on World Tour, another Coliseum home video. And then I watched, I finally, I was trying not to, but then I said screw it because I had a little extra time. I watched Rockers versus the original Midnight Express from AWA, which I'm glad I watched because it helped me like, uh, it was real good in, in, in helping me figure out my thoughts on where the Rockers stood. So yeah, those were all the ones I dug into. Mostly WWF, but then I got an AWA one at the end. Okay. I, I, I started with AWA. I went with the uh, Rose and Summers first. Uh, I went into a match against, I can't remember, Matt Kaniski and someone named Mr. Magnificent, who was actually Nails. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah. He, he does not strike me as magnificent at all. He was Mr. Magnificent Kevin Kelly. Okay. He wore a robe. He had his long blonde hair. He just wore trunks. Uh, yeah, Mr. Magnificent. That was what, and like, it didn't even say Mr. Magnificent Kevin Kelly on the thing. When they announced him, it just said Mr. Magnificent. Uh, I watched them against Bad Company from AWA. I watched them against Dangerous Danny Davis and Mike Sharp. I watched them against the Rougeos. I watched them against the Brain Busters. I watched them against the Orient Express. I watched them against the Brain Busters. I watched them against Demolition. I watched them against Power and Glory. I watched them against the Orient Express. I watched them against the Nasty Boys. And then I finished off with them against La Resistance. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I saw that one in there. I didn't get to that. But I remember Oof. it. I wish you got into it. <laughs> it's so weird. Well, yeah. Question, though. That first one you saw with Summers and Rose, was that the one in the cage? No. It's like uh, their, one of their first encounters with them in 86. Oh, okay. Well, that must have been good because I know eventually everybody knows them for having that big cage blow off where everybody bled, yada, yada, yada. But I was like, ah, it's kind of just known as a cage match and it's known because everybody bled. But you know what I mean? So it must, I'm assuming this one was probably a little bit better then. No, there's a bunch of them, and it, I was surprised at how much because uh, I was a surprised how little rockers AWA stuff you could find on the network, and b impressed at how much rockers AWA stuff you could find on YouTube. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. Once again, WWE has all all the footage held hostage. So yeah, I think there's only like two or three years of AWA footage on the network when you know the promotion was around forever. The crazy thing is there's not even so like they have those years listed, but each year has like one or two shows on them even. And they're just with like Shawn Michaels matches, but not even rockers matches, just random episodes of TV. Cause I was pretty bummed about it. Yeah. I mean, but once again, I, I don't know. I, I wanted, I didn't want to dive too deep in AW. I mean, I guess if you wanted to, that was probably a little disappointing, but I more was like, I, I had fun because we had more time. I did like a day of TV matches. Then I'd watch a day of like pay-per-view or Coliseum video ones. Then I'd go back to TV matches and then some more, uh, you know, bigger shows. 
So I literally just touched one match from each year of AWA. I got an 86, I got an 87, and I got an 88. And then I got out. Okay. And then I think because the story goes, they went to WWF for a hot second, got kicked out, and then went back to AWA. So I think that's when they got like all those like second title runs or whatever, I think. Yeah, I think when they were wrestling Bad Company, which, by the way, Bad Company is the Orient Express. Uh, but, yeah, so when they're wrestling Bad Company, they mention how, like, the returning rockers with their first first chance to take on newcomers, Bad Company. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what was the famous story? Vince called him into the office and goes, those are nice boots. You know, they're made for walking, pal. And then apparently he got in and then fired him and sent them walking. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the million stories I've heard on all, any of those DVDs I've watched. But uh, so, uh, speaking of sweet Coliseum videos, oh my god, it was so much fun hearing like Todd Pettengill and freaking Lord Alfred Hayes and like the random people they'd have on for those stuff. But yeah, I'm sorry, I think I cut you off. Uh, I was going to say, speaking of boots, why did they wear their long tights over the tops of their boots? I think they were just making a, a, a statement style or a statement with their style i don't know they're trying to be different that was the thing they, they you could tell there was definitely a lot of beta planning before they got to like their final look it was funny going back to, and watching those crazy jackets they wore in awa and i was like why did those not come with them to wwf yeah there was a yeah i'm not sure i saw them in the same outfit twice i i can't confirm or deny that's true, which is very cool and of the times, and I guess is another reason why, you know, as a kid, you were like, oh, my God, they're so cool. They always got something to do on. Yeah, the Nasty Boys match I watched, which was like a later one from, uh, I watched, it was the one from Royal, Royal Albert Hall. <sighs> okay, how was it? Tell me what you thought, because the one I saw put such a bad taste in my mouth, I wanted to see the Royal Albert Hall one, but I didn't. It's wacky. It's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of, like, sticky stuff and and the the finish is real bad uh okay where was it placed on that royal albert hall show pretty early I'm, i want to say second i i just i it goes straight to it when i click but i think it was like 20 minutes into the show or something so probably second okay because the weird part i noticed where let me find my notes on it from those done nasties Okay, here we go. It okay. It was Madison Square Garden. It was November thirtieth, ninety one. It was the main event. What do you think was the first half main event? Oh gosh, uh, I don't know if it's around the same era. It was around the same time as this Nasty Boys one I watched. It was Ric Flair and Tito Santana. <laughs> oh, you were close. First half main Flair Hogan, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> There's people had some place to be that night. They wanted to get the hot stuff out first because they knew everyone was heading out the door. Dude, this was the, I think this, this was literally I think four or five days after the Survivor Series where they started teasing the breakup. Yeah, and I remembered I remembered that, and I was like, oh, okay, so they're not getting long. But I remembered I looked at the rundown, and I was like, oh, they have a main event. And I go, hmm, and I look at the time, and I scroll up, and I go, oh my god, Flair and were on first half main. I go, how <laughs> like. And then the amount of work that the Rockers had to do to carry the Nasty Boys to a main event match, I was like, I would have been so pissed off as like as a young Shawn Michaels and a young Marty Jannetty of like, oh, yeah, Aaron Hogan are going to wrestle number four 
for 10 minutes and I'm going to DQ. We got to do 20 minutes with the nasty boys who do not know how to do 20 minutes. And we got, and we also got to add in the fact that we're not getting along. Like, Oh, Shawn Michaels worked so hard and I'm sure he <laughs> one third of whatever Hogan and Flair made. What nonsense. But here, okay. Here was the bad taste from the nasty boys. Like they had to go 20 minutes. They were main event. Here's ne- here's the nasty boys main event style. Uh, stalling in the beginning and then rest holds in the middle. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much exactly what you got from uh, from them at Royal Albert. They did bump their asses off though. Uh, they took a lot of offense from the Rockers, like a lot of bumps, like body slams and Manhattan drops, and like getting picked up and stuff, which is a little wacky. Oh no, man! This one was just all sorts of stalling and shenanigans, and then Brett and or Sean and Marty weren't getting along, and then they had. Then it was one of those ones. Then it was the they did the roll up behind the ref's back, and the nasty switched it so they were on top. And then the ref was turned. So then, but Marty had switched it. So when Sean switched it, he was really switching it. So then Marty got pinned. And then one, two, three, and oh my god, they weren't getting along. And blah blah blah. And that's how they ended the show. I was like, kind of a crappy way to end a Madison Square Garden show. But oh my gosh, the it's, fact that they had to go on last, and Hogan and Flair were just like, eh, we'll be on fourth. It's weird because you would think for a, a team of smaller guys that they would work better with larger teams, but that is not the case with the Rockers. Well, the problem is, okay, in watching these matches, what I learned was, okay, what, what was really – what made them stick out is they were very unique in the, in the tag team pool they were in. Yes. And I think what made them stand out so much is that they were so different – but yeah, they definitely didn't necessarily like the matches with like powers of pain. Um, okay, I'll say it, and I'm not one of those people that's a big fan of them anyway. Like power and glory were worse than I thought they were. Oh my god! So I watched two power and glory matches, I think, and the second one was like late era power and glory, where Hercules looks like trash. I was like, oh, and it's like, it's. Way less than enjoyable. Uh, Paul Roma stays in most of the time, and that's a good thing because every time Hercules comes in, you're like, oh, don't stop doing whatever you're doing, man. He's got a mustache. He looks terrible. But you know what I mean? You'd think it'd be so promising because, like, I always hate that the uh, the match at SummerSlam, but what was I think Sean was hurt or Marty was hurt and spent the whole match on the outside. So I was like, all right, let me find, like, a straight-up tag match of theirs from that time where hopefully there wasn't anyone injured. And I watched him like, yeah. Power and Glory were there real stingy and they weren't like, they were stalling. They weren't really bumping. It was kind of lethargic. And I go, look at you guys. Why aren't you having like higher RPMs in your matches? So it was weird. Like, I feel like it was a blessing and a curse for the Rockers in that they were in a big tag division, but not the best tag division. Well, right. But so uh, I would think that they would work, you know, littler guys and Shawn Michaels and Marty, they both bumped really well. They sold really well. So getting tossed around by big guys, I would think would be like right up their alley. But instead, even when they were wrestling big guys, they would just try to make big guys do little guy stuff kind of, or like take all their little guy stuff. When a lot of these big guys were not prepared for that and not good at it at all. Hmm. See, I be, I feel like I blame that more on the the big guys of that generation. You know what I mean? Because I feel like when they did have good matches with like the Hart Foundation, even the Rougeau matches were good once they finally got to the get. You know what I mean? The Rougeau is well, another right. team 
really talented, huge stallers. Right, but the Rougeos, uh So the, I, I feel like the Rockers work well with uh, smaller guys, and they work well with like uh, uh, a tricky heel team. Like those are the two types of teams they wrestle well. Okay, yeah, because yeah, they definitely had great. They were like they hit their zenith with the Brainbusters. I'd have to say. Well, that or the Orient Express, but once again, it's like a, it's you know. Okay, wait. Which Orient Express did you watch? Because there's a big difference between. Uh, uh, dude, I went Rumble '91. I went. I went Rumble '91. Okay, so that was the one with Kato in the mask, right? Uh, do... no. So you had both Orient Express were both non-masked. No, 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 I had the mask, I had the mask. Paul Diamond, right? Oh, yeah, he, oh man, I don't know why. Like, I remember Orient Express being kind of like, you know, not, uh, okay, let's put it this way. Like, a mirror image of the Rockers, but in like three gears slower. But watching yeah. that Sato versus Kato, yeah, Paul Diamond jacks that up way better. Because I was watching, a bunch of the ones I watched were not the ones with Paul Diamond under the mask. It was Sato, the one beforehand. And he was even more lethargic than uh, Tanaka. So I was like, oh, wow, even these weren't as good as I remembered. But the Rockers were great in him. Sure, sure. And the uh, uh, when I saw that there was a bad company against Rockers match from AWA, I was like, oh, yeah, let me watch this so I can get a, get a nice look at what they did with them back in, like, 88 and then compare it to what they did in, in 91. That's, uh, I wasn't going to do rumble 91, but then after I watched the, the bad company match, I was like, Oh, I got to get in like the hot, hot one. Yeah, no, that was the thing. I knew that one was good, but I was like, okay, it's Orient express. It's, it's, it's Tanaka and Sato. I was like, Oh, okay. Let me see it. I was like, Oh man, Sato really didn't do much. <laughs> uh, Paul diamond. And he's yoked in that rumble 91 match. He yeah. is huge. Yeah. All big old shoulders and traps and everything. Yeah, he's looking jacked. So, and that match, by the way, that match is, by the way, it's bonkers. Uh, it's it's like 20-something minutes. Uh, they do uh, two sets of dives. Uh, Shawn Michaels takes one of the most historic ass-kicking heats you've ever seen. He, like, and he's, like, sweating so hard. He looks like he can barely move. One of those heats, you know? So yep. like everything, it's it goes like twenty minutes and everything in it works. You know, Marty, uh, did you notice Marty Janetti uh, has some of the dopest intricate shines you ever saw? Yeah. Okay. Let's put it out there. Shawn Michaels is Shawn Michaels. Marty Janetti unfortunately had to team with him. He's underrated. Yeah, he's very he, he like he would do like the clever longer shine, whereas Shawn Michaels would kind of get to the getting. He'd get in, he'd do what he'd do, you know, like uh, drop down, leapfrog, uh, go for the hip toss, backflip, drop kick, ta da! Marty would stretch that thing out like six more, like six more transitions, and you're like, what? No way! Yeah, man, I was definitely taken aback when Marty would get froggy. Because the thing is, you know, you always just associated with he was usually the hot tag, and he'd come in House of Fire and throw his punches, 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 and he'd go crazy with his flying back elbows and stuff. But it was great. That was the one thing I did like. I was afraid a little bit that there wasn't going to be, like, evolution in their game. But no, the problem is this. 
a lot of their stuff looked kind of similar because there wasn't a huge variance in the high flyer of 1989. You know what I mean? But yeah. on big shows, they definitely added more wrinkles, more nuance, more dips and dives and bigger spots. So I was like, oh, okay, good. I like, you know what I mean? I was very relieved. I was like, okay, wait, no, no. They do evolve. They do have another gear that they do for the bigger shows and stuff. You know what I mean? You always associate it with Sean. And I was like, maybe that was something that he got later in his career. I was like, no, no, no. The Rockers had big match spots they did. And I was like, all right. I was very appreciative of that. They do. But, and not to fast forward all the way to the end, but against La Resistance, Marty Jannetty, it looks like they plucked him straight out of the 80s and he's still wrestling at 80s speed and with the exact same 80s spots that do not work in 2009 or whatever year this is yeah i know that's the that's the one unfortunate thing like he was amazing for his era but he never really got out of his era yeah his shine was like almost the exact same and so was his comeback in this i can't think of what year it was oh six oh seven i don't know it's like almost the exact same and he does like a a double like crush the guy's face into the mat where he just grabs him by the head and throws their face down and i was like man that spot does not work anymore <laughs> but it's what what i realized okay like i said i was watching all the wwf matches and at the last second i watched an awa match and that one helped me figure out like uh the mind, the mindset that I had when I wanted to look at them. This is going to seem like a weird comparison, but I feel like Sean and Marty in that era were kind of like Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko. Not so much in that they were super revolutionary in their style, like their style you had seen before, but it was super refreshing and it was like the next evolution. Like when they started doing their thing, they were suddenly like, oh, okay, that's the next gear tag wrestling was going in. And it's weird because, like, I don't think of them as, like, nuanced wrestling technicians. But when you watch them match after match after match, not that there was a lot of nuance in late 80s matches, but they definitely had it. You know what I mean? I don't think they were – I think they were cutting edge, but they weren't, like, revolutionary. They weren't rethinking the wheel. They were just doing the wheel smoother and better than everyone before them. Well, that's what I was going to say. And, and I don't even know if you can say that. You can say that they're younger better looking and faster than the rock and roll express. But I don't think you can say that they were doing it better than the rock and roll express. I think the rock and roll express, which we will get to, uh, we're doing uh, what Sean and Marty were doing, but in a, a, in a smarter way, but not as like dynamic and big, you know? Exactly. Okay. It, here's another thing I was thinking. Like you had mentioned earlier, they weren't necessarily the best with big guys. You'd think they'd work better with small guys. Do you think they would have been better if they if their run was in WCW slash NWA? Yes. Really? I, for some reason, I wanted to think I would think that, but when it comes down to it, I'm kind of part of me is like, no, I just think they needed a bigger. I like that they're on the WWF like platform. I think yeah, their work rate would have been better in WCW, but like, what would what would WWF tag wrestling be if the Rockers were never there? Well, right, uh, that it definitely leaves a gap and a hole. But I, and I don't know this for a fact, but from watching it, I got the idea. Uh, it, I got the idea in my head that the more clever spots were 
given to them by the clever heel team as opposed to them being clever spots of their own. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, they definitely had their spots. And then when you'd see them do new stuff, you were like, oh, like, okay, for example, like the Brain Buster matches, they were doing, they were doing some Rock and Roll Express spots. And it was like, oh, okay, they obviously got this, you know, through the Brain Buster. Right. So when they'd wrestle like more clever teams that had like different ideas, they would do them because they were capable of doing them because they were young and they were athletic and they could do pretty much anything you asked them to. But when you left them to their own devices, they were just going to do the same handful of things that they knew and did well. See, I was getting that impression until I saw until I was able. I think it was better because I did like TV matches where, yeah, they kind of fell into that rut. But then I do a day of like all pay-per-views and big matches. It was like, Oh no, no, they would do it in the big matches. It was just, I feel like it, it was more a, uh, an issue of the times as opposed to necessarily them per se. Like, I don't know who, who's to say they didn't want to be innovative, but every time they're like, Oh, you know, the Rougeos are like, we're on TV. Let's just do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, maybe, I, I don't know. Um, I do love the Rougeos, by the way, not for nothing. As as they came on the screen, I was like, man, that 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 episode, though, that's going to be laborious because, as you said earlier, they waste time in the beginning. And I got to imagine they do it with literally everybody. Dude, uh, here's the thing, because, yeah, with the other teams we've covered, too, same thing, Heart Foundation, Rougeos. They are a refreshing team, but man, after a while, whew, Jacques Rougeau is a certain is a is a certain level of annoying and certain level <laughs> of where where as a heel, I admire the hell out of it. But like as a fan watching, I'm like, boy, this guy is just too much. Get him out of the ring. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got that feeling when I was watching the Rougeau's match. But once again. just like you i appreciate it so much that i'm like oh i love it but i can if we ever do the rougeos i'm gonna get like three matches in and be like come on jock do a move do something for christ's sake jock please (laughs) other than but here's the worst part and then he makes you want it and then he'll do that stupid backflip and then oh he did the backflip so he's got to stall for two more minutes to go look at how good i am i did a backflip like he's really good at what he does is what he does the best and most enjoyable i don't know but I really enjoyed it in these rocker matches just because uh, I was almost uh, – Jacques had taught me. I knew what I was in for. So I was like, okay, beginning is going to be a little laborious. The middle is going to have its times. But when the rockers fire up, the Rougeaus are just as athletic. They're there for everything. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Let's put it out there right now. I, I think I can fairly say it. No team can clear a ring like the Rockers. Oh, yeah, man. Holy crap. And not even once. They would do it like two, three times in like the shine. And I'm just like, holy cow. And the crowd loved it every time. Like, it was just amazing. No one clears that. Like, you'd think, they're not who you think. You think clear guys. Maybe you'd think Road Warriors or LOD, like big muscle guys. Nope. They're going to come in double set, double punt, double leap run, double crescent kick. And then they're going to rock and roll. And then, they, and then, but then, if it's a big show, they're going to hit house show dives and stuff. It's like, ah, oh, it was so good. No one clears a ring like them. Nobody whips two partners into each other successfully as much as the Rockers. 
Nobody does that whole, you know, mirror teammates next to each other, double whip, double send, double, uh, you know, they do the baseball slide between the legs, punch, 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 whip, reverse, like all that. Wow. It was, and they even had different ones. They would do corner to corner spots like that. And then they had even different wrinkles where they would try the leap over the other one. And then boss man caught Marty and then Akeem gave him the big smush sandwich. Oh, that was so much fun. So that's what I was going to say though. They're, uh, their timing was was that was like uh, that kind of timing was good. The rest of their tag team timing, not the greatest. Yeah, because once again, I just hold that as an error as it's part of its time. You know what I mean? Like it would be odd if in 1989 they were Dragon Gate smooth. You know what I mean? Well, no, I get that, but I feel like other teams we've watched have had like better uh, in general timing together whereas their timing together was best apart if that makes sense like they're good at double like double whip uh the their own guy and then they both do a leapfrog and then they both do a baseball you know like stuff like that yes. or or like do do double swing both backflip at the same time shove the guys into each other double drop kick when they're hitting their own guy but when they would have to double kick one guy always bad or like 90% bad, you know? Yeah, definitely was. And something I noticed real quick, I don't know why. Uh, I mean, I had noticed it before, but of course watching it a bunch, I was like, oh, like Marty Janetti, I don't think made contact on like any of his drop kicks. <laughs> no, no. In the, the La Resistance match, I was like, look at Marty still throwing that 80s drop kick where he just flails his feet up in the air, up over the guy's head, and they take a bump for it exactly so many times i watched it i was like it's almost as if the top foot who knows where that's going it's always like the bottom foot kind of gets somewhere near the head and i'm just like wow is he just bad at drop kicks or is that just the way it was in the 80s you're like oh just take care of a brother or something i don't know by the way uh i wanted to get to this early but uh i i we've been all over the place yes <laughs> uh awa commentary was killing me <laughs> in what way uh anytime a super kick is thrown the guy just goes karate oh i was <laughs> i was getting a kick out of it in i forget what match oh it's one of the power and glory matches where they keep calling it crescent kick, crescent kick and i was like boy how did how did crescent kick party not get over in 1989 i don't understand another good one from awa commentary uh, do you have any other name that you would call a sunset flip? Double leg Nelson. Double leg Nelson. I was losing it. A double leg Nelson. Oh, wait, did that, is that what they called it? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. True story. I'll brag. I only know that because I was, uh, when we went to England, uh, we, we did shows with Robbie Brookside and he was talking about how, you know, the moves have different names in different places. And he's like, ah, oh, sunset flip, blah. It's a double egg Nelson, damn it. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So I always remembered it as that. That literally is what they were calling it. And I was like, I have never in my life heard a sunset flip called a double egg Nelson before. Yeah, bro, think about it. It's you're using your legs and you're putting them in a full Nelson on each side. It's I double leg. I 100% get it, but uh, I just had never heard it in my life until uh, Rose and Summers 86 AWA. <laughs> Oh, well, it was the one I wrote down was uh, it was Rockers vs. Heart Foundation, Saturday Night's Main Event, April 28th, 1990. And of course, they're having an awesome match. Um, 
Sean's flying for Anvil, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and Vince just, <laughs> Vince on commentary, this match is a humdinger. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Like, like you know what I mean? He wasn't used to such fast-paced competitive matches. He didn't know how to describe it other than going, this match is a humdinger. Uh, against, oof, I want to say against the Brain Busters. Uh, and one of them, Lord Alfred Hayes, uh, calls Shawn Michaels cocksure. He's so cocksure. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. All those I loved all the wacky teams, especially on the on the Coliseum home videos, man. Like WrestleFest '91. I just love the names. They're like, now I have to wonder if, like, okay, did they tell Rockers and Orient Express, like, because they knew they were filming these for home video, like, were they like, hey, okay, you guys need to have a hot match because we're filming this for Coliseum Videos' hottest matches. Oh yeah, I, I, I can't imagine they did. I because I used to think those were all from like when you get one of those VHSs, the matches would be from all different events. You know, they wouldn't all just be from one event, and they would just compile these matches that they randomly filmed onto you know WrestleFest '92 or uh, bruises, bumps, and body slams or. I'm trying to think of another one. <laughs> but, know. like, okay, the reason I ask is because Rockers vs. Orient Express on hottest matches, immediately the Rockers slide right in. They start going for it, and the whole match has a lot of heat behind it, like it's a hot rivalry. So it's like, like, I don't know, or do they just have good, you know, curators who are like, oh, no, this is a really hot match. Let's get this one. Oh, this is a really hot match. Let's put them all together and call it hottest matches, I guess. That's what it was, but I don't know. Or, but, but then, like the show on what is the WrestleFest one in from Paris, France versus the Rougeaus is an awesome match too, and you could tell it's treated like it's a big show. Like they had to know they were filming those for a video. I think. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure they were like video tapings, but I'm sure there's so many matches from those events that have never seen the light of day that were also told that they were being taped for something, but just never oh, made yeah. it out. Absolutely, yeah. Like I'm sure on that undercard probably had you know like a uh, bulldog and warlord match because that was also a hot feud or something. But maybe <laughs> they didn't have the tape or whatever. Yeah, no, no, I understand that too. But like, yeah, it just I don't know. It just felt so. It felt like everything catered so well to the title. I was like, oh, maybe they knew. I, I assume it's a little column A, a little column B. So the Orient Express Rumble '91 match is commonly thought of as like one of the greatest tag matches of all time, right? Yes, I agree. Can you imagine how much better that match would be if the finish wasn't so kind of stupid? <laughs> I know, man. That was the thing. I was watching a lot of these, and they would always have stupid double count outs, or one team gets counted out, one's a DQ. I was like, ah, oh, man. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these matches would all go up drastically if they had a finish. Yeah, like that Orient Express match is, is like a, a, a widely regarded, incredible match in the history of wrestling and then the finish is so silly and it's like oh man can you imagine if this thing had like a hot hot finish and there's a way to do the exact same finish they did but just make it hotter but for the day they just were like yeah this will be different see that's the problem i don't think finishes were like uh i I don't know i don't feel like hot finishes were something easily to come by in that time you know what i mean yeah that's true I was like, I was watching it and I was like, oh yeah, this finish. Damn. Yeah, man. A lot of these matches, I kept putting in like, blah, 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 count out, blah, 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 DQ, blah, 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 count out. I'm like, oh man, like. Yeah, I, I, I think I saw 
one, maybe two clean finishes either way. And, I mean, I get it. They were all in long-term feuds with these teams. They had tons of TV they had to fill, so I get it. And, you know, a lot of these, like like the one from the L.A. Sports Arena or MSG, those are just really house shows that they're filming because, I mean, they can. But, yeah, I mean, I get it. So, you know, you're not going to be putting finishes to everything if you're building to, you know, pay-per-views. And... But, uh, man, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. All these matches would have been a lot better if they had, like, good finishes. Or, and, like, okay, like, what was the Rockers finisher? Uh, the one clean finish I saw them do was send off the ropes. Marty drops down. Sean hits a top rope crossbody. <laughs> yeah, no, I saw one where it was like they knock the guy down. Sean hip tosses Marty onto the guy, and then he goes up and it's a top rope fist drop for a finish. And I was just like, man, they, they, it, it, they'd probably be better if they had finishes and if they had finishers. <laughs> yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, agreed. But all right, we're we're already we're already pretty deep into this thing, so it's time for me to ask you, what made the Rockers great? Of course, like we covered, they clear the house, they'll clear a ring like no one's ever done. I think what makes them great is, like we're covering this sort of the young fiery uh, babyface tag team is kind of the the ilk we're looking at. They, when you look in the lineage of that team, they're a huge linchpin. Like, they're the bridge between the 80s and the 90s. You know what I mean? When they came on the scene, suddenly you were like, oh, no, this is what modern tag wrestling is going to be. And if, if you're the best at that at any time, you're one of the greatest teams, hands down. You know what I mean? Like, they're a huge cog in the wheel of going from a team like as as far back as the rock and roll to getting to the young bucks of today, you need a rockers in the middle. Yes. Uh, agreed. And I don't think they had like the uh, cultural uh, importance of the rock and roll or the Hardys or even the young bucks. And that's why I say that I feel like they, the, they miss a step in the evolution. Okay. I kind of wanted to not argue it. I agree, but, I feel like they still touched. Okay, how old were you when you were in love with the Rockers? Uh, I was young, like six years old. Okay, I'm older than you, so I was like ten. You know what I mean? Like, I feel yeah. like because of the time they were in, like they they couldn't touch the zeitgeist because there wasn't. Like, I feel like they did as far as like. Who didn't want to have I had I definitely had rockers action figures, you know what I mean? Like I feel like they were not as over as like the Hardys were, but the Hardys were over to like teenagers. I feel like the Rockers were almost that over, but to like eight, nine, and ten year olds. You know what I mean? I feel like it's just because of the 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 time they were in WWF, it was more catered to eight, nine, and ten year olds. You know what they I mean? They were just they were just really over with people who didn't have money to buy their merch anyways. Exactly. Like I feel like they were over at a time when merch was in that weird phase of like, oh, I'll sell you a bandana at intermission and like, oh, no, no, you'll buy my figure on the shelf at Toys R Us. Because, I mean, I was super pumped to go to Toys R Us and get the freaking Hasbro figures, especially the Rockers. You know what I yeah, mean? I, I had the Rockers Hasbro figures. It's one of the one of the few figures I definitely remember owning when I was a kid. Exactly. So that's my thing. Like, part of me, I was thinking the same thing. Like, oh, okay, they weren't as culturally relevant, but I think they were to a segment of the culture that wasn't really relevant. 
Yeah, and and like you were saying, what made them great? They were they were a a younger, faster, more athletic rock and roll express. They were the next evolution in that, and they brought it uh, to mainstream wrestling because uh, WWF was you know Hulkamania was running wild. The the rockers were were more seen you know, than the, the rock and roll express. So they brought that faster paced tag team style to a mainstream audience to like the biggest wrestling audience. Exactly. That's kind of why I would, in my opinion, I always preferred, or I thought they'd be better staying in WWF than WCW. I like them being on the bigger stage, being cutting edges. They were on the scale that they were. I agree. I just think I, I you know, I, I want to see these teams all wrestle each other. Every one of them. I want every one of these teams to have been able to wrestle everybody like the Hardys. Exactly. Yeah, I know. We all hope for the dream matches and stuff. But okay, yeah. The other thing I remember I had in my notes here, I had to find it. Um, A comparison I wanted to make, which also made them so great and being the next uh, step. And also what I thought about them being a little more culturally relevant. Like, Like, they were fast. They were fluid. They were crisp. But so were the British Bulldogs. So were the Heart Foundation. So were like the Orient Express. But I feel like I, I was going through, I was like, the British Bulldogs were just as fast athletic, but they were British. So they were kind of more like manly men. Uh, the Heart Foundation were just as fast and athletic and technical, but they were kind of bad guys. Same with Orient Express. They were the evil guys from the Orient. I feel like the rockers were great because they had the colorful outfits because they did cool moves. They were the best thing going for an eight, nine or 10 year old. You know what I mean? So I feel like they were a little more culturally relevant, but just like I said, to a segment that wasn't, you know, in the zeitgeist. I think they would have been more culturally relevant if they went less neon and more, uh guns and roses if they were more like poison guns and roses and less like uh appealing to 10 year olds they would have been more culturally relevant but once again we're talking 89 90 91 wwf isn't really going after that they are now getting into merchandising and wanting you to go to toys r us and get all the toys as opposed to you know see at the gimmick table at intermission you know what i mean i know i hear you i'm just i'm just saying that's you know when I think of uh, 80s rockers, man, can you imagine if they were more like a hair metal type of deal in that era? Oh, yeah. No, no. It would have been cool. Or if, you know, they stayed together and eventually evolved into that as like maybe bad guys, that would have been pretty dope. Dude, a bad guy's rockers wearing like leather and having like, <laughs> dude, I'm thinking about it now. Dude, that would have been crazy. Oh, my God. They would have been. Okay. Because then they would have been you know, the baby face modern version of rock and roll, then they would have become the baby face modern version of the Freebirds. That would have been so dope. Shit. All right. I'm inventing a time machine right now. Wow, wow, wow. Never thought about that. Heel Freebird-esque rockers. Wow. Especially when, you know, <laughs> especially when Sean's getting all pilled up and stuff. Come on. With with like Sherry Martell is like their thing. Man. You know what I mean? Marty talking yeah. about how he made people disappear and stuff. I mean, no, no, no. We're not going to talk about <laughs> it. We're not going to. We don't mention that. I'm getting excited about a thing that will never happen unless we invent a time machine and convince the Rockers not to break up. Convince Marty not to call Vince and ask for releases. Ugh. 
Oh, man, what we missed out on. But still, let, back to the subject. What we got once again, as we've discussed, is great nonetheless. The Rockers, oh, man, so great, so great. But and... I'll hit you with it. Let me hit you with it. I'm ready for right. it now. How do we wrestle the Rockers? Okay, so if we're going to beat them, we have to cheat. I never saw them lose cleanly, not one singular time, and I swear to God. I agree. I agree. The other thing I think we need to do is – it works for them. I get it. They're plucky. They're baby faces. They're tough guys. They never back down from a fight. It's going to be so easy to lure them into all of our traps. You know what I mean? Anytime Mr. Fuji pissed off Marty, Marty couldn't help but go outside and give him some of the business. And what that always lead to? A count out, a DQ, uh, Sato throwing rice in the eyes. It's, it's bad. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so uh, we'd have to cheat. And yeah, we take advantage of their uh, randomly, and it doesn't get brought up much, but just like you were saying, they, they're kind of hotheads, though. Exactly. Take advantage of their temper. That Like, a guy's stepping in, they're, they're going after him. Uh, you know, the, the manager's stepping out of line, they're going for it. So I just think we take advantage of their, their, their ill temper, and, and we cheat. Exactly. And here's the other thing. As much as, you know, here's the thing. I'm sure they had more dimensions, but we only got to see the Rockers in one dimension as all-around good guys. So we just take advantage of that. See, us, we can go good, bad, in between. We got more dimensions than them. Or or we've shown more dimensions than them. All we know from the tape on them is pretty one-dimensional. We can handle the standard good guys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, if we, if we somehow stumbled into a match with the uh, Brett Michaels-Vince Neal uh, leather bound version of uh heel rockers that we just invented if we somehow ran into them i don't know man uh, they, they seem like world beaters yeah sounds unstoppable to me <laughs> <laughs> all right so that was it man that's the rockers yeah man another enjoyable team another great great era in professional wrestling Dude, I'm I'm gonna start next week, like tomorrow, ASAP. The next this next week, I'm I'm digging in. I'm getting elbows deep in this one. Yes, because as we've been discussing, we've kind of fallen into this. Uh, I wouldn't even say it's a rut; it's a glorious rut. Let's say it that way. Then, of covering, you know, that young athletic tag team and the predecessors to the Rockers, as we said, one other than none other than I'm sorry. The Rock and Roll Express. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, Rock and Roll Express to the Young Bucks is like the the current to the the all the way back. And we, we hit the middle points. We hit the Hardys and we hit the Rockers. And now we got to do the Rock and Roll. And I'm, I'm very excited. Um, we don't even need to get my, uh, my preliminary thoughts for next week because my preliminary thoughts are out there. Uh, I love the Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm excited. Especially now, it, it would be one thing if we went old to new. It's cool that we went uh, new to old. Yeah, we, we reversed the uh, the Colin formula. I usually like to start at the beginning and work my way up, but we went backwards, and so far it's been an enjoyable ride, and I think it'll it'll end enjoyable. I'm, I'm excited, too, because next week I feel like next week's probably going to be a long guy because we're, we're uh, inevitably going to have to talk about uh, how we get from from A to B to C to D. And even all the way up till today. What was it? It was announced yesterday. We'll give a shout out. Joey Janela is going to be wrestling Ricky Morton at The Collective, uh, a big indie show coming up in a few weeks. Yeah, Joey Janela's spring break at The Collective this year. We've got Joey Janela against 
Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express. Yeah, so there's a lot to cover there that we'll have to get to next week. Yeah, so next week's going to be a big one, but this one has already almost gone longer than I thought it would. So I'm just going to say, get excited. Rock and roll never dies. We'll see you next week. Adios.